Good morning, everybody. So great to see you guys. I'm so glad you made it through the first snowpocalypse of the season. I know. I'm always like, when it rains or snows on Sunday night, I'm like, no one's coming tomorrow. But you guys showed up. Thanks so much. Well, hey, before we dive into our last installment of our Christmas series, The World Turned Upside Down, we, um, I wanted to share a little bit uh, about something that we've been doing the first couple years of our church. It's a great tradition around the Christmas season called our Give Hope Initiative. Um, this is an offering that uh, we have taken up at the end of the year to bless our community, to be generous towards our nonprofit partners at the end of the year. We all dig deep to make this happen. And we know that this year's Give Hope offering might look different for so many of our families here at the church because of uh, this capital initiative that we just uh, finished uh, or we're in the midst of called Bridge to the Future. If you guys haven't heard, we, um, we've actually purchased the lot across the street and we're building a new church home. And so we know many of our families are going to be following through on those commitments and those pledges this Christmas season. But at the same time, we wanted to still give us all an opportunity, possibly to give through Bridgeway to our community. So one of our nonprofit partners in our community is Valley of Grace, which is a faith-based recovery um, program and home in our community. And so we want to give you an opportunity to give through Bridgeway to them this season. And as we talk about that, I want to invite my friend James up on stage um, to share a little bit about uh, his experience this last year with Valley of Grace. So why don't you guys give it up for James? Oh, man. I met James this last uh, spring. It was actually uh, the morning that we had one of our parking lot parties, and that was his first morning at Bridgeway, and then we connected at the parking lot party. Then I think we hung out that next week just to get to know each other a little bit. And James, why don't you tell us a little bit about what life was like uh, this past spring before all this happened? What was your life like? It kind of sucked. <laughs> That's real. That's real. Yeah. Well... Two years. I'm sorry. You're all good, man. All right. What was life? Two, Two years, years before. before VOG, I was working, but drinking almost every night to self-medicate and put myself to sleep. I've been depressed and anxiety-ridden for years, just barely hanging on to some sort of life and thinking about ending it pretty much every day. Then COVID and the lockdown came, and all those feelings completely ramped up. Watching people die, the riots, people running cars through groups of protesters, watching a cop kill a man in front of my eyes, it seemed a third of the country was burning. And then the, the attack on the Capitol. Well, I thought this was a good time to die. I was all alone and I was going to drink myself to death, just like my dad did. Walking to the liquor store every day, I passed this church, and I would look in, front, in the front windows and wonder. After a few weeks, I finally went. I liked the preaching, and I liked the music. I think it was after my first time or so, I was leaving the service, and I heard this running and yelling behind me. I was pretty jumpy, so it kind of scared the crap out of me. <laughs> it was Joel. Oh, my gosh. He said we should get together 
Well, we did after he heard my, well, we did get together, and after he heard my story, he said, you sound like you're about ready to give up. And of course I was. That's when he told me of a place I'd never heard of called the Valley of Grace. That's awesome, man. Sorry I scared you so much, but not really sorry <laughs> at all, actually. So tell, tell everybody, like, when, once you decided that you were going to go spend um, some time at Valley of Grace, what did God do and change your life while you were there, while you were spending time with those guys there? How did your life change? Well, it took me a while to finally go there. I kept putting it off week after week after week. But I finally went, and the classes on the dic- on addiction, classes on chapters of the Bible, forgiveness, you name it, all the volunteers, the people that came day and night to serve, asking nothing in return, the people that founded and ran the place, Joey and Graham, sitting right over here, and others. They would come up to me and hug me and tell me they loved me. And I would be like, don't do that. (laughs) You don't know me. But after a time, I found out they were genuine in their caring and love. People have been healed by their addictions at Valley of Grace, and so have I. But the thing that changed me the most is the people, the love and the presence of God. Um, that's what changed me the most is, is being in the presence of genuine, true love and in the presence of God. I believe that it's a holy place. Awesome. Can we just celebrate that with him? So um, tell us a little bit about life on the other side. What's been going on now? How has your life turned around? What do you got going on now? Well, since I, um, since I left, I got a job working for the city. Um, it, it's a good job. And I've been doing that for a few months now. And not too long ago, I got a call from Joey, who is the founder of Valley of Grace, and Graham, co-founder, asked me to come back home and work there. So now I'm serving others best I can. Um, I appreciate, uh, I don't know exactly what to say. Life is good right now. And it's nice to be able to go back home and to serve, serve other people the way I've been served. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. Yeah. Thanks so much. I give you a hug too, man. <laughs> All right, man. You can, you can go down. You're off the torture chamber for... Here, you got a few minutes. We got to do this two other services, but here, just take this with you. Take the mic. All right. Hey, uh, yeah, thanks so much, James. You know, I didn't have to talk him into it that much to do this. But no, so grateful for his story. One thing I want you guys to know, and us as a church to know, that uh, something that we did a couple Christmas offerings um, ago during this Give Hope initiative is that we helped start a little bit of a fund at Valley of Grace for those who had a financial barrier to go. And so part of James' story is that uh, we as a church at Bridgeway, we helped pay for him to go when there was a financial barrier to go, which is an incredible thing, you guys. 
And we want to continue to do that, to help fund that, to where, where there are men that are struggling um, and there is a financial barrier, we want to stop that. And so this end of the year, if you're looking for ways to give back, looking for ways to be generous, uh, we wanna encourage you guys to give through Bridgeway as we do this to the, through the Give Hope offering that we're gonna take at our Christmas services this next week. It'd be an incredible thing if we had stored up funds for two or three men in 2023, um, that if there was a financial barrier, that we could help them get to Valley of Grace to experience some of the life transformation that James has as well. So that's what we're encouraging you to do this year. Uh, so three ways that you can participate in the Give Hope offering with us. First, uh, follow through, begin your pledges for the Bridge to the Future initiative for our new building. Uh, to give through, uh, you also have the opportunity to give through Bridgeway to help fund people that have a financial barrier to go to Valley of Grace. And then we have over 50 people from our church that are serving meals at Valley of Grace this week, not only with the resources, but serving with their time and their energy and their talents as well. And so we know many of you guys are participating that way. So way to go. It is an exciting time. And we want to hear more and more stories like James in the years to come by partnering with our great friends at Valley of Grace. Cool? Awesome. Awesome. So we have been talking in the series when the world, the world turned upside down about how Christmas and the arrival of Jesus, it changed everything. It was the ultimate game changer. Uh, one of the titles for Jesus in the Hebrew is Emmanuel, which means God with us. And it's that with us factor that flips our world upside down and it flips our lives upside down as well. So over the last three weeks, we've talked about uh, how the world was turned upside down and our world gets turned upside down because Christmas reveals to us a God who runs after the lost, runs after lost things, lost people. This is who our God in Jesus is revealed to be to us. We've talked about how he loves the least, those on the margins, the outside, those who are all alone, those who religious situations and circumstances say you don't belong. Jesus actually runs after those people and he flips it upside down and says they're most valuable in his economy, in his order, his kingdom. Last week, we talked about the lonely, those who were isolated and felt like they had no community, how the arrival of Jesus, uh, he, he tells us and he shows us and exemplifies to us that he is on mission to make outsiders insiders, <laughs> to walk alongside each and every one of us and open the door wide for each and every one of us. And today, as we land the plane in this series, I wanna talk about the reality that many of us are facing where we're not really having, let's just say, a merry Christmas season, but we're having a messy Christmas season. And, and I believe that God, um, he can and wants to and will do something in our mess that is remarkable if we allow him to. I think Kristen alluded to this earlier, but this holiday season, Christmas, it, it seems like it is surrounding us with all these messages of how we should feel this year, Right? And Christmas is this season of high expectations, of perfect, merry expectations of you should feel peace, you should feel love, you should feel hope, you should feel cozy, you should feel all these things. But the reality is that many of us, we don't naturally feel that way. And when we look at our lives, it doesn't seem to be lining up with that at all. But what do we get in the mail almost every day during the season? We get like the perfect uh, like Christmas card with the beautiful professional photography of the perfect families, right? I mean, I feel like I've received some from many of you guys, and I know we've all like been in this game. But like you see pictures like this of families where things are so amazing. Like, oh, look how happy they are. They're, all their kids are smiling. No one's like shivering cold. Look, he's wearing a vest. Doesn't he look so healthy in a vest? It's just amazing. Here's another example of a perfect family Christmas. Look at the dog even. The dog is smiling. 
how do you get a dog to smile? This is just perfect. Their teeth are just so perfect and white. I mean, this is just incredible, right? I mean, last year, um, my wife, who is always, you know, running our calendar and picking what we're going to do during the holiday season, uh, she thought it was a great time for us to get some big family photos so that we could share them out. Um, and so we had scheduled with a photographer, and uh, that morning, I mean, I looked outside, and I looked at the weather, and I'm like, Megan, we can't do this. Like, look how bad the weather is. I mean, it was like sleeting. It was so cold. It was really windy. And I'm like, can we at least wear our coats? And my wife's like, no, you will not wear a coat and you will enjoy it. And we're going to have these awesome pictures with my side of the family, her side of the family, my sister-in-law's family. We're all going to get together and have these pictures. And man, let me just say that my attitude was, no, it was terrible. I was like, this is terrible. We're going to get our kids sick. I can't believe we're doing this for some photos. Like I'm grinching the whole thing out, man. I was just like terrible about it. But we ended up getting like a couple really good pictures of our kids. This is from a year ago. So our kids are like twice the size. There's little Thomas there and Jack who are now in their pajamas this morning living their best life over in Bridgeway Kids. We also got like the big family photos with everybody. And those look pretty amazing as well. Uh, my family, Megan's family, my sister-in-law's family, all there. But it was so freezing cold and the kids were doing their best but if you this picture looks great when you look at it from this distance but if you zoom in on like my son Jack's face <laughs> he's like what are you doing to me mom and dad I just want my coat and even better is my nephew Jude's face this is classic Christmas face right there like I don't want to be here it's so cold right I mean this is just what we experienced it wasn't the perfect thing that we all picture when we look at the wide picture of it. And everything about our culture and our society around the holidays, it says that every sh everything should be ideal and perfect, right? I mean, there's the Christmas movies on nonstop. So people are watching Die Hard. Yes, that is a Christmas movie or like all the time. Or if you're in the, like the Hallmark Christmas thing, like you've seen one of those movies, you've seen them all because, you know, there's this mystery man. He's perfect and he's rich and you're running a small business that's going to be taken out by this evil corporation. But through the whole process, you're going to rediscover the wonder of Christmas and there's going to be snow falling as the camera pans out at the end. You know that one movie, right? It's like all the movies. Like we can see those movies with a perfect ending. The music is everywhere. It doesn't matter what the lyrics are like, but you hear a little bit of sleigh bells and it's a Christmas song. And then Mariah Carey just won't stop singing at you. I mean, you hear these songs all the time. The food is amazing. It's mostly sugar, but calories are canceled during December, right? And just like this amazing season that we're all supposed to be experiencing, but underneath the surface, we get real. Um, our Christmas season, our actual lives... They don't look anything like that, right? Maybe for you, uh, this Christmas, uh, you're getting used to having two Christmases for the very first time. And you've got to balance schedules and calendars and meals and presents with your parents not in the same home. Or you splitting up time between two families, just you know, crossing your fingers, hoping that it's not a big blow up this year. Maybe this Christmas season, you're not feeling all jolly because money is tight, maybe like never before, and you can't do what you used to do with presents, and you don't want to disappoint anybody, but underneath, you're feeling this shame that you don't really know what to do with, but it's just messing with you this Christmas season. Maybe for you, this Christmas, you lost somebody this last year, and you're just reminded that that one person that means so much to you, that meant so much to you, still does. They're not going to be there. So the seat that they normally sit at, they're not going to be sitting in, and you just can't shake that notion. 
Maybe for you, you're thinking about those family gatherings and they've just not been the same since 2020. They're just primed for some kind of explosive conversation or somebody saying some kind of dog whistling buzzword that's gonna set one person off about some political tirade or about the pandemic or about something that's just gonna set a powder keg to explode. Maybe for you, you're getting those picture-perfect family cards in the mail, and it just, you look at it, and you're like, man, they just look so perfect, but it's like looking in a mirror from a bizarro world, and you think about your own life and your, your own family, like, we are nothing like this, and just feel messy. Nothing's tidy, nothing's beautiful, but it's just a mess on the inside, and you don't know how in the world you can actually celebrate Christmas when there's so much of a mess going on inside of you. Well, today I wanna take us to that arrival of Jesus scene that we have in the scriptures. And I want us to help us look at the Christmas story through the eyes of somebody who is integral to the story, Jesus' mother, Mary. And I think if we just take maybe a fresh look at her story and her part of the plot, we'll see there was a lot of mess in Mary's story as well. I mean, I think throughout history and throughout art, whenever we think about Mother Mary, we think about her. I mean, we're, we're given this picture like that's Instagram worthy or it's like put this up in the art museums because look how pristine and look how holy she looks. Here's an example, right? We think about Mary like this, like, look, she's glowing. She's got the chubby baby angels lifting her up. Like, look how amazing she is. She's got it all together. How does she do it? I don't know, right? This is the picture we get of Mary, but I wanna help us take a look again at Mary's story that we're given in our New Testaments to see that it was not like this at all. If, uh, you know, if she was someone who was living in our time, like she probably wouldn't have been the one to have time to do her hair. She'd have, her makeup would be a mess. She's trying to hold it all together and figure it all out as she's following this invisible God and his plans for her life. So I wanna take us to the text to see that Mary doesn't look anything like this. Here's when um, we see Mary in Luke, in, in Luke chapter one, we get the announcement of what Mary's gonna be up to. And we're told this, uh, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in the Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you which is great news, but we're told Mary has this response. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. I love the understated terror in that last sentence, you know, was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting could this be? You know, in other times throughout our scriptures, we, we, we see somebody have an interaction with an angel. You know, terror is the very first emotion that we see because angels, their descriptions that we actually get in the Bible are not of like the chubby baby kind of thing, but it was this terrifying messenger from God who would strike people with awe and wonder and fear sometimes. And so she, she's not just given a message from any angel. We're told it's Gabriel, who's like the angel's angel. He's like the archangel, the big deal. So I'm sure he was even more terrifying than normal angels. But, you know, Gabriel feels the recoil and the fear from Mary. And then Gabriel tells her this. The angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus 
He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. What epic, great news for Mary to receive, right? Don't be afraid because this thing that you've been longing for, that God was going to actually hear the cries of your people and he was going to bring his kingdom from up there down here and it would reign forever to where mercy and justice and grace and kindness, it would all be restored, this world that's so broken. And you know what, Mary? You're gonna play a part of this. You're going to bring this king into the world you're gonna play a part of it. What epic, great news, right? But I'm sure Mary was struck with the wonder of it all, but also you gotta imagine that she was terrified as well because there were some complications, there were some messy details about how this was going to play out that it seemed like Gabriel didn't pay too much attention to in giving her this news. For one, Mary was not a woman in her mid-20s who was settled down ready to start a family. You know, it makes us uncomfortable to think about the cultural differences, but Mary was probably 13 to 15 years old, not a woman in her mid-20s. She didn't have all that life experience and have her whole world in order ready to have kids. I mean, she was someone who was just engaged to be married to this guy named Joseph. And to speak of just the engagement, they weren't actually married yet. This brought a lot of complications into Mary's story because Mary was gonna start showing She was gonna start having a baby bump, which would have been a cultural no-no for her to be pregnant before she was married during this time. Of course, Mary could go around telling the story that an angel told me that I was going to give birth to the king of the world and the Holy Spirit was going to actually make me pregnant, not any man, but who's gonna believe that story, right? That's not something that anybody's gonna believe. And because of this, she was scandalized. Everywhere she went, can you imagine the whispers? in the town square at temple on Saturdays when she would go to worship, people would be whispering, looks like she's showing. Oh, I bet it wasn't even Joseph. I bet it was somebody else. And all the whispers that led her to, had to feel so much internal shame, even though she knows that she did nothing wrong. And to make matters even more complicated, it was custom during this time that people had recoils, or they had the ability to actually stone her or kill her If she was pregnant, there were some rules and some laws that they could skirt around to make this happen. So she was in great danger as well. So yes, she was given this opportunity to play this beautiful role in God's redemption and restoration project. But things were messy and were very, very complicated. But one of the details I love about the story of Mary is is actually about her fiance, about Joseph. This man who also had a message from an angel to say, hey, stay the course, stay with Mary. You're gonna be this guy who's gonna take care of her and bring this mission forward. But Joseph, he lost so much of his reputation as well because he stuck by, stuck by her side instead of just divorcing her quietly. And he saw this thing through and he stayed with Mary and believed that Mary's messenger and his messenger were telling the truth about what God was up to. 
And so we see Joseph and Mary are together. We see this a couple of verses later. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. So Joseph and Mary are together. Um, the Roman Empire calls for a census, so everyone has to go to their own hometown. So Joseph and Mary have to travel from Nazareth to Bethlehem to sign up and to log in basically for their census. So they have to take a journey together and Mary is great with child near the end of her pregnancy. And this isn't like a 15 minute road trip where you hop in the minivan. Did you guys know that the journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem was about 90 miles of treacherous terrain, rocky terrain, where there were like, you know, cave walls on both sides where you're walking through where marauders could come and rob you or harm you or kill you. A treacherous journey. And I know we always have the picture of, you know, Joseph leading along the donkey and Mary on the donkey, so Mary didn't have to walk. But most historians would tell us because Joseph was a simple carpenter that they did not probably afford a donkey at all. So they were both walking on foot. Ladies, remember back in your third trimester, if you've had a child, imagine walking 90 miles, which most of the time would have been a four-day journey in the ancient Near Eastern heat. Talk about a less than ideal situation. Think about all the bathroom breaks on that journey, right? Just terribly messy, less than ideal journey that they had to take. But God was with them in it. They arrive in Bethlehem and Joseph, we imagine, is trying to find a place for them to live. He probably had some family in the area, but uh, those rooms in his family's homes were all rented out. And so we're told this once they arrive. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. In other words, it's go time, and baby Jesus is coming. They've got to find a place to settle down. And, G and Mary gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. The picture that we get here, and of course we're inferring because there's not a ton of detail in the text, but they had no place for them to even settle in. And so there was an innkeeper there who said, hey, I don't have any room left, but you can go back to where we keep our animals. And there's a manger or a feeding trough there. And I'll bring you some cloths and some blankets and you can hole up there tonight because I'm sure this innkeeper had some empathy for what Mary was going through. But it's, it's amazing that we get this picture of them in this area where the manger was. And it, a lot of times we think of it as a stable, but historians also tell us shepherds during this time used caves to keep their animals away from uh, the rest of their family, mostly because of the smells that would be there and be connected to all the animals. So here's how this Jesus comes into the world, surrounded by straw and animal smells that normal families wouldn't want to have anything to do with. They lay this newborn king down in a feeding trough or a manger. I mean, talk about a messy situation. Talk about all those emotions and all those pictures that you'd have of how you're bringing a child into the world and then dashing them all and lowering all your expectations into this moment. Jesus is born. At the same time, while this is going on and Jesus is laid down into this feeding trough or this manger, 
we're told that angels, other messengers of God, are speaking to shepherds over on a hill outside of town, telling them that in Bethlehem, the newborn king is there. And so we get this beautiful scene of them announcing glory to God in the highest and goodwill to all men, to these shepherds. And then the shepherds get this idea here. When the angels had left them, the shepherds, and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a manger. Now, there's so much cultural context here to like talk about how awkward and how messy this situation was because shepherds during this time in the first century, they were the lowest of the low. They were known for smelling bad, for always staying with the animals. They were known for not making it into temple on Saturdays because their work hours were less than ideal. People didn't like to be around shepherds. And the scene that we can infer here is that the shepherds barge into this little cave where they find the Messiah, almost like in Christmas vacation when all the family actually arrives, that chaotic scene, you know what I'm talking about? Like the music changes and everybody bursts in and everybody's talking all at once. And can you imagine the vulnerable situation that Mary and Joseph are in where they just had this messy situation. She had just given birth a few days earlier. And then all of a sudden here come the shepherds, the smelly shepherds into the room where it all happened. I mean, can you imagine what you would be feeling in that moment, right? Like this has already been a hot mess express and here come these smelly shepherds in to meet my son and to see me in this vulnerable state. I mean, it was such a scene when you think about how awkward and how messy and how unideal it really was. But I love that Luke gives us this detail about how Mary responded to it all, to it all. This is what Luke tells us. When the shepherds had seen him, Jesus, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds came and went, and that was chaotic and confusing and messy. Her journey was terrible and frustrating and exhausting. They had no place to stay, and so they found a cave where the animals were fed, where they could stay for the night. Then she gave birth, probably all alone, not traveling with any female family members, and Joseph, per their customs, wasn't allowed to be there in the birthing moment. But Mary treasured up all these things in her heart. She looked at the messy situations and somehow she had a view to see that there was beauty in this. And there was value in this. There was treasure in her mess. And she pondered them in her heart. She thought about them over and over again, asked questions of them. She was struck with wonder through it all, through her less than ideal messy situation. I think for us, a clarion call, whatever we're coming down the pike into Christmas with this year, in our homes, in our lives, I think we have that clarion call, that challenge that Mary gave us, like, how do we find to treasure all the less than ideal circumstances? How can we ponder them and come to the other side of them with wonder in our hearts? Because the reality is this, that Jesus still wants to arrive in this messy kind of way in our messy circumstances. You know, one of the dangers when it comes to Christmas, I think, and I've been here for many, many Christmases in my life, is that we just treat Christmas like a memorial to remember that Jesus was born. It's like once a year, we just remember that Jesus came here. 
and that's it, right? We just celebrate Jesus' birthday. It happened once, and then it's game over, right? We can treat Christmas like that, but I think we'd be remiss if we, if we just stop there and we don't remember that Jesus is still coming. He's still arriving in our messy situations, in our challenges, in our hardships, in our heartbreaks. He's still arriving. He's still coming into our world today. So a couple implications from this I wanna land with today. Some ways that we can allow Jesus to arrive in our messy situations this next week into the new year. And the first is this, that Jesus doesn't wait for the ideal. He redeems the real. He doesn't wait for the circumstances to be perfect, for all the stars to align, for us to get it all together. No, he doesn't wait for that at all. Actually, he, he likes to come in the middle of the real, what's really going on, and bring something beautiful from it. And this was Mary's experience, right? Mary had less than ideal circumstances, as we talked about, right? But this is where God decided to enter into the human story through Jesus. I talk to people all the time about where they are on their spiritual journey, some of you, and when we talk about next steps or we talk about what you know, could happen next, what possibilities God has before them next, you know what's amazing is that so often people are like, yeah, I'm just not there yet. Yeah, I've got this other thing I've got to work on. Yeah, I, I, I can't do that yet because I've got this mess in my life or this sin or this habit, this destructive tendency. I'm just not there yet. I'm not ready yet. And you know what Christmas shows me, what flips the world upside down for me is that we see in Mary's situation that God isn't deterred by our mess. God isn't intimidated by our mess. God's not one who doesn't wanna get his hands dirty in the midst of it and get dirt underneath of his fingernails. No, he actually kind of like enjoys it. It brings him pleasure. It's like, oh, you think this is less than ideal timing? God's on his throne thinking this is actually perfect timing, perfect scenario, perfect circumstances. And you know, I, I want to deal in the real to redeem and restore what's actually going on. This is what God actually, like what he revels in, what he specializes in is entering into the mess and bringing something beautiful out of it. Hear me, my friends, that our mess is actually the perfect situation for God to work in because it reveals our need for him. It reveals our dependence on him. It reveals how out of control we actually are in our world and how much we need to cling to a savior, a firm foundation. One of Jesus' followers, the apostle Paul, later in the New Testament, would riff and talk beautifully about, you know what true strength is? It's weakness. <laughs> it's upside down reality. And that's what our mess reveals in us is our weakness and our need for Jesus because he's not waiting for your life to get cleaned up, to get perfect. He's inviting you to say, hey, come on, right now say yes to me, open up your mess to me because I deal in the real. So a question for you, if God doesn't wait for you to clean yourself up, if God is not waiting for the circumstances to align to get perfect, but he deals and restores and redeems the real, my question for you is this, are you bringing your real to him? Are you inviting this God into your mess to get in the middle of it, to get dirt under his fingernails, for him to restore or renew 
Do you need to relinquish your white-knuckling control over your life? Because can we just be real? It's not working for you. Relinquish control to this, the force of all love and logic and kindness and goodness found in the person of Jesus. Are you bringing your real to him? Man, talk about a life-changing Christmas. You to let God enter into your mess so he can restore the mess inside of you, man, that's gonna change everything. It's gonna turn your life upside down in the best ways. Jesus does not wait for the ideal, but he redeems, he restores the real, but we've gotta bring it to him. We've gotta open ourselves up to him. Another implication from this story, a world changing, up, turning the world upside down implication is this, is that Jesus arrives in your mess to transform it into your mission. And this is exactly what happened in the messy situation with Mary is that she is given this messy circumstance, this really messed up situation, but God invites her to be a part of this grand story in the middle of it. She says, yes, I am the Lord's servant. Yes, I will bring the Messiah into the world and I will raise this Messiah and I will let this whole thing change through my obedience. We think about our messes so often, we see them as dead ends, don't we? We feel like, yeah, this is just my lot in life, this is just my luck, this is just my story, is that I'm a screw up, that um, I missed the mark, or sometimes we play the victim card and feel like people have taken things from us, beat us down to where we could never reach our full potential. But do you know what your problem is when we have that kind of thinking is that we think that we're more creative than God is, but God is the master artist and he's so much more creative than you are. You know what God loves to do? He loves to show and bring beautiful possibilities from our mess. Possibilities that are so much bigger and wider and more beautiful than what we could ever imagine just for ourselves, but he reaches it out to other people and he turns our mess into our mission in life. And I love so much the, the people of our church. I just see this happen all the time. I have a good friend who's been in the midst of a messy divorce for the last couple years, and it seems, every time it seems like it's over, the can gets kicked down the road farther, and we just beat him up. But through this, and through his pain and the messiness of this divorce, um, he's been able to reach out to so many other men who are going through um, betrayal and through a life transition like divorce, and he's always reaching out, hey, if you know somebody that's going through something, and tell them I'd love to meet with them and just encourage them, let them know that they're not alone. Talk about your mess into God's mission. Another friend of mine who, um, through some tough life circumstances and some terrible decisions he made earlier in life, he was incarcerated for, for many years. And on the other side, now that he is out, he is dreaming and scheming and laying the groundwork um, to help men transition out of incarceration into a life beyond what they could imagine. Where people that have F's on their record does not mean failure. It doesn't mean that this is permanent. Oh, that's so beautiful. That's a mess into a mission. There's somebody who's a part of our church who lost their son to addiction. And every time there's somebody that comes to me who's struggling with uh, a child that's going through addiction, uh, you know, I always send a message to her and she wants to meet with them and encourage them, let them know that they are not alone. There's mess into mission. Then I think about my friend James who shared this morning already. Somebody whose life was a mess, life looked like a dead end, and now he's working at Valley of Grace to bring hope to other men, to let them know that this is not the end 
of their story. God longs to make our mess into our mission, my friends, but we've got to offer it to him. We've got to think beyond ourselves. We've got to ponder him and treasure this mess in our hearts to see that there's more that's available. Ultimately, you guys, we've got to change the way we see our messy circumstances to this because we see a mess. God sees a possible masterpiece, a beautiful story beyond what we could possibly imagine. That's what's possible for you. That's what's possible for each and every one of us when we bring our real to him and we invite him into it and we say, God, what might you pour from my life because of this? Man, it would change your world. It could change the world, my friends. We start to believe that God's more creative than we are and that God will turn our mess and make it into a masterpiece. So will you let him? these last weeks of this year, will you invite him in? I pray that you do. I pray that we, um, we partner with God in this because this is what God's up to in this world and he's inviting us to join him.